Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. concludes our collection of talks, seven, Revelations of Jesus for His Church. In this message, When God Knocks, we study the final of the seven churches in Laodicea. Although externally they were prosperous, internally they were spiritually bankrupt. Jesus corrects them in love and invites them back to relationship with Him. In the same way, God is knocking on the door of our hearts. The question is, will we open? Don't miss next Sunday, Vision Sunday, as we look ahead to where we believe God is leading us with a special vision presentation from Pastors Rich and Don Shuri. Now let's lean into the message together. All right, today we are in part seven. I can't believe that's a long time. Uh, Part seven uh, of a collection of talks that's affectionately titled Seven. Uh, We celebrated our seven year anniversary just seven weeks ago. And uh, in honor of that, we decided to study the seven churches of Revelation. And it's been a beautiful journey. And today we are coming to a conclusion. And today we're looking at the church of Laodicea. And uh, the church of Laodicea uh, separates itself from all of the other churches in the fact that Jesus, as he gives this prophetic message, um, he almost speaks in violent terms towards this church. In many ways, he makes the greatest threat, but also with the greatest threat, he also makes the greatest invitation of a blessing. And today there's much for us to catch. Every week we've been looking at these prophetic messages and from these prophetic messages given some 2000 years ago, we're discovering practical truth for our lives today. Let's pick up today, Revelation chapter three, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. What would you, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down my father on his throne. For who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Uh, Today, part seven of our seven week collection, uh, I titled today's message, When God Knocks. When God Knocks. Someone say, when God Knocks. Knock, knock. <laughs> I love that they go, knock, they just repeat whatever we say, you know? I, I, I was gonna come up with a good knock, knock no, uh, joke, but I don't really have any. I, I heard one the other day, knock, knock. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. You're welcome. That didn't go very good. All right, it's all right. 
how many of you out there know uh, the importance of a good introduction? You ever been with a friend or somebody and uh, they introduce you to another friend, but they don't do you any justice? I was with someone the other day and they said, uh, this is my friend, Rich. Uh, he's really intense. I'm like, what, oh, hi. You know, like, they're like, I don't wanna be your friend, you know? Um, my, my favorite, you ever had this? Uh, I've had some people introduce me. This is my friend, Rich. Uh, he's hilarious. And you're like, they're like, make us laugh. You're like, I don't know what to say, you know? Like, <laughs> an introduction is important because quickly it's stating who you are and why you're there. Now, I don't know if they do this anymore in schools. Uh, I've got little kids at home right now. We homeschool, so we're not in this stage yet. But when I was growing up, um, there would be these different fundraisers that would come to my school. Do they still do this where like you, you had to sell uh, chocolate? Does this still happen? Wow, I, how does that work in 2022? Because when I was a kid, we would like get boxes of chocolate to go raise money for our school. By the way, no one was paying me. I was like just doing work for the school. And I, I would, my mom would be like, yeah, go, go for it, Rich. And I would just go into the neighborhood with boxes of chocolate. I was like 11 years old. And I would just go to neighbor's doors and I would just knock on the door, like just cold call the door, right? Like, can you, I, can you even do that anymore in 2022? Can you just knock on someone's door? I'm like, hey, you know? We would just knock on the door and people would open the door and you'd be like, hi, I'm here to sell chocolate. And like doors would slam in your face, right? And as a little kid, I remember like quickly like learning like, oh, I've got to like quickly stay. I got to like introduce myself properly. I got to come in with something quick before this door slams. I'm knocking on this door. I need to state who I am and why I'm there. Why? Because it's called the power of an introduction. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but for the last seven weeks, Jesus has introduced himself to each one of these churches in a different way. It's really, really fascinating. Like we could just do a study on his seven different introductions to all of the churches. Most of the time, in most of these introductions, what he has been doing in his intro is he's been saying what he does or who he is in some peculiar way. Remember the church in Ephesus, he says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What he's saying is, I am the God who holds the church in my hands. I am the God who walks amongst and in the middle of the seven churches. To the church in Smyrna, he declares, uh, I am the first and the last, the one who was dead and who's come back to life. He's referencing the prophet Isaiah. To the church in Pergamum, he says, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, talks about his tongue piercing, that it's full of truth. To the church in Thyatira, he says, the son of God who has eyes like flames of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. To the church in Sardis, he says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To the church in Philadelphia last week, what does he say? He says, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David. Each time he's giving a revelation of who he is. He's revealing his identity. What I love today to the church of Laodicea is he just goes right to who he is. He says, but to the church in Laodicea, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He is describing in his introduction who I am and what I'm here to do. Now, I want you to understand this because this is really important. I, I think that 
um, as I study this and I think about all seven of these introductions, notice that each one of these churches, this is so practical for us today, each one of these churches, they know something about Jesus, but they don't know everything about Jesus. Can we, can we park there for a moment? Because we are living in a time right now where believers create what I call spiritual elitism, that somehow they think they have the corner market on the full revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, I don't care what seminary you went to, I don't care your spiritual paradigm, there ain't no person on the planet who could contain all of the truth of who Jesus is. He's much bigger than our little box. He's much bigger than my little brain. So each one of these churches, they know something about Jesus. They don't know everything about Jesus. Let me just be really bold with our church. VU Church knows something about Jesus. We don't know everything about Jesus. That's why at VU, we're not just about VU, we're about the capital C church. I love the church across the street. I love the church down the road. If you're preaching Jesus, there's something we can learn from you. I think one of the most fundamental things that we as believers must understand is that we need each other. This is why I spend my life in community, why I spend my life in crew. Because as I start talking to you and you start talking to me, there's gonna be a new perspective, a new angle. You're gonna have walked with Jesus through some other type of situation that I've never been in. And with it, I can get to know Jesus through you. Someone say, we need each other. I know something about Jesus. I don't know everything about Jesus. The seven churches of Revelation, we could title the entire thing, seven different ways to know Jesus. Look to each church because he reveals a different aspect of himself. But here to the church in Laodicea, notice how he starts. He comes in and he speaks clearly. He says, I am the amen. Someone say amen. amen. I like the word amen. Um, I'm Pentecostal, and so uh, I've been using the word amen a whole lot in my life. But when Jesus says this, most likely he's referring to Isaiah 65, where it says the God of the amen. And, and what this means is, is amen by definition is, uh, it's an agreement with the truth. It's coming into, I, I agree with that truthful thing. And so when Jesus says, I am the amen, or uh, the, the, the amen, he's describing once again that I am the only true thing. I am the personification of God's truth. This is why at the end of your prayer, we say in Jesus' name, amen. Everything that I just stated, everything that I just, I just called upon, I, I, I'm solidifying that, I'm coming into agreement, I'm declaring amen. That's why when someone's preaching and it's resonating with you, we say amen. Because it's saying that, that's true right there. I, I'm in agreement with that truth. I, I wanna come around that. And Jesus is saying, I am amen. Like, like, like it, it, it's ending the sentence saying, whatever you're about to hear next is all true. You, you could correlate it with, you ever heard that statement before? Like verily, verily. That's usually used at the beginning of something. And that means like, listen to what I'm about to say because everything I'm about to say is really important and it's really true. What does he say? He says, I am the amen he says, the beginning of all creation. I love this because this word beginning in Greek, every week I've been giving you a new Greek word. The Greek word here for beginning is the word arche. Everyone say arche. Now this word beginning, it means different from like the start. It means source or origin. 
So when you hear Jesus say the beginning of all creation, please, please understand, he is not saying uh, the one whom God created. He's not saying I'm, um, I'm God's first creation. It's different than that. He's saying the source or the origin of creation is who I am. Someone say amen to that. By the way, I found this little acronym about amen. I think it's so good. A, agree with God. M, move with God. E, end with God. N, never doubt God. Someone say amen. No, Jesus is saying, I am amen. I'm the, I'm the arch, I'm the source. I'm the origin of all creation. I'm before creation. What's he doing? He's genuinely reiterating what John says in the fourth gospel, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And the word, that's Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him. Who's him? Jesus. And without him, who's that? Jesus was not anything made that was made. That's what John says in the fourth gospel. Jesus is saying, that's all true because I am Arsha, I'm the source, I'm the origin, I am the beginning of all creation. So church in Laodicea, I wanna introduce myself to you. I am amen, I am all true. In me, there is no lie. Every part of my being is the truth. Everything I'm about to say is only always ever true. And just so you know, church in Laodicea, and just so you know, church in Miami, I I didn't start at creation. I was before creation. I am the source of creation. Creation finds its origin story in me. Finds its origin story in me. Jesus is reminding the Laodiceans that he is the beginning of it all. I think this is fascinating because um, it seems like Jesus is doing what the Apostle Paul was teaching to the church in Colossae. If you know the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians is an amazing letter that we should do a full study on one day, but the entire point and purpose of why Paul wrote the church, uh, wrote the letter to the Colossians is because there was a Christological heresy going on which was that Christ was a created being or at best he was an angelic being. And so Paul takes some time to address this to the church in Colossae saying, you need to understand the supremacy, the centrality and the sufficiency of who Jesus is. Now here's what's fascinating. Laodicea is 10 miles away from Colossae. More than likely that same heresy that was happening in Colossae had spread to Laodicea. They would have been familiar with Paul's teachings. And so here comes Jesus saying exactly what Paul taught to the church in Colossae. What I love is, I want you to see this, is that the Bible always agrees with itself. How do you interpret? If you come up to a verse, you're like, I don't really know what this means. Interpret it with the Bible. Use the Bible to interpret it. So let's just look what happens, because this is what Paul writes. Check this out. Colossians chapter four, verse 16. This is in Colossians. He says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And what was Paul specifically writing to the church in Colossae? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Now, I want you to see what I did here because uh, last year for Basil, we did an entire art installation at the design district, we partnered with Virgil at Blow and we did an entire um, installation 
uh, all about divine design. And on the walls, we put big scriptures. And one of our foundational scriptures is what Paul wrote in his opening chapter. What you're gonna see is that Paul starts talking about Jesus as the arche, the, 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 the source, the origin of all creation, the beginning of all of it. And what I did here in the text, you'll see it up on the screen, is every place that it says he or him, I just put the word Jesus so you could understand. At Voo Church, we have one message, that's Jesus. Because watch what Paul says, Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Can somebody put their hands together today and thank God. What Paul took an entire letter on, Jesus sums up in two little phrases. I am amen. I am the beginning of all creation. In church in Laodicea, in church in Miami, there's nothing else to talk about. We can't go to other principles We can't talk about how to build a good marriage. We can't talk about how to raise kids. We can't talk about how do I apply Judeo-Christian principles to my business if you don't first believe this. This is a separator. This is a line in the sand. And Jesus is going, hi, would you like to buy some chocolate? I am amen. I am Arche. I am beginning of all creation. And if you don't get that into your heart, what's gonna manifest will never ever make any sense. We're gonna start with the truth. We're gonna start with the truth. We have to come to the terms that he's alpha and omega, beginning and end. He's not just some good teacher, he's God. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Because as we're gonna see, it's gonna get real practical here you gotta start with the introduction. You gotta start with who he is and why I'm here. I came to speak to you, my creation, I'm creator. Do you know who's talking to you? Do you know who's knocked on your door today? What does he say? Let's let's pick it up. This is where it gets really good. Revelation chapter three, verse 15. I know your works. I gotta make this point. This is the only church that Jesus He doesn't say anything good about this church. It's like, it's just all flames, okay? He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now I gotta be honest with you. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this verse before. And this might be one of the most um, widely misinterpreted verses in the Bible. 
Because what's happened with this verse, and maybe you can already go there with me, is that a lot of times if this text is gonna be preached, uh, the title of the sermon would be called Lukewarm Christians. Don't get me wrong, there is such a thing as a lukewarm Christian. In fact, there actually shouldn't be anything called a lukewarm Christian, but there are lukewarm Christians. But what Jesus is saying, as we've learned in all of our studies so far for the last seven weeks, is that the geography and the topography of where this message is going matters. There's this thing called context. That's how the Bible is meant to be read. And so a lot of us, especially in evangelical America today, we've interpreted this as that hot is I'm on fire for Jesus. I shout the loudest, I'm early to church. And And by the way, I like on fire for Jesus, you know? I grew up going to church camp, you know, it was the best, right? We used to sing songs, light the fire in my soul, fan the flame, Lord make me whole. Light the fire in my heart again. That's that nouveau worship. That's that real worship. That's that real worship. We don't need drums. We just sing it ourselves, man. Light the fire. I'm I'm glad we have drums. But there's this interpretation, right? Like, okay, a lot of us read this and go, oh, Jesus, he would prefer either we're totally on fire or we're totally cold. And what do we think cold is? We think cold is like worldly, pagan. I'm gonna be bold about my sin. Like, you know, like... That, 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 that's how it gets interpreted. So like, no, like, because you're lukewarm, because you're in the middle, because you're apathetic, like Jesus, like, I'd rather you like totally be on fire or totally be pagan, man. But just think about like, what? That doesn't align with scripture. What does the scripture say in Peter? It's not God's will that any should perish. I'm so, anyone grateful that God has more mercy than you do? Anyone grateful God's more patient than you? Like, <laughs> I'm so grateful you're not God. Let's go deeper. I'm so grateful I'm not God. Because some of us read this, we're like, yeah, God would rather you be detached. He'd rather you be pagan than lukewarm. What? No, let's try to get a little context of what's taking place. Jesus who's so smart, who's so brilliant, who's a master communicator, he's introducing himself in such a precise way because there's a heresy, much like what was happening in Colossae 10 miles away, has now crept into this church, which is Jesus is just a created being. He was a good teacher. He's angelic. And hey, let's go to church on Sundays and let's play the part. Let's check in. Hey, I got a voo. I'll see you on the Instagram. Rich, don't come at me. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he starts speaking and he says, I know, your, I know your deeds, but because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I, I spit you out. But he knows where Laodicea is in. It, it would serve us all good to understand that Laodicea um, had no source of its own water. It would, it would help all of us to understand that Laodicea actually had to have its water brought in through an aqueduct system that was stone pipes. And what would happen is by the time the water would get to Laodicea, most of the time it was tasteless. There was nothing about it that was good. It would also help us to know that Colossae is 10 miles away, but there's another city six miles away known as Aeropolis. And Aeropolis was known for its hot mineral springs. It would have these waters that people would think that they were finding healing in because the hot water would bring refreshment and it would bring healing to their body. Colossae, by the way, was known for its cold water. So it was refreshing. 
You could go to Colossae, get refreshing water. You could go to Aeropolis and get this hot mineral water. What's amazing is as you study the geography, six miles away, that water from Aeropolis would flow through the Lycus Valley. And by the time it would get over to Laodicea, it would come off this cliff. It was a phenomenon. The cliff was 300 feet tall, about a mile long, and the water would drop off. But as it would go over the cliff's sides, it would get carbon phosphate on it, and it would turn that hot mineral spring water into lukewarm water. And people, when they would taste it, it was lukewarm. And some tourists, they wouldn't know what was taking place. And they'd come by going, oh, look at this water. It looks so beautiful. They would taste it. And it wasn't just distasteful. It was actually nauseating. There's stories of people drinking the water and vomiting and spitting up the water. Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea, the place where people drink from the cliff water and they vomit. What is he trying to get to? He's trying to speak to all of us. Because come on, man, Jesus is more patient than you and me. Like, yo, there are lukewarm Christians. There are people today in this room that you're like, I don't really know, I believe in him, but you're not living it all the way. But Jesus doesn't prefer the pagan who's totally detached more than the person who's on the journey. What is Jesus trying to get at? He's trying to speak to the Laodiceans and saying, you are completely ineffective for me. You are making me taste bad to the world around you. Can I preach to our church for a minute? Because if we're gonna do this thing called be Jesus followers, if we're gonna cast vision, if we're gonna give our lives, if we're gonna give our money, if we're gonna raise our kids, may we plant a church in the city that does not cause those around us to be nauseated. Just think about it. How many know there's some things that are meant to be hot and some things that are meant to be cold? I'm a coffee drinker, but I don't like hot coffee. But I do firmly believe, I drink cold brew, amen. Amen to the real Pentecostals, amen. I like my cold brew cold. But if I'm not gonna have a cold brew, I'll drink a hot coffee. What I don't want is lukewarm coffee. Any, any iced tea drinkers out there, you know? My, my dad, we used to, as a kid, or he'd order iced tea, and then my dad, he liked it real cold. He'd be like, give me another glass of ice. My dad, he'd bring a glass of ice because he wanted it real cold. Why? Because it was pleasing. Jesus is saying, yo, I would rather you be hot like Aeropolis and bring healing to the body, or I'd rather you be refreshing like Colossae, but because you're Laodicea, when I taste it, I spit it out of my mouth because you have become lukewarm and you're ineffective. So I see your deeds, I know your works, but you're ineffective. So choose, 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 choose. Quit being lukewarm. We could, we could spend all day talking about lukewarm Christians. That's lukewarm, you know? How do I know I'm lukewarm? We, we could go through a lot of things. Um, maybe you're lukewarm when you, when you really, you're saying, ah, are you really excited to be saved from sin or are you just excited to be saved from the penalty of sin? I'll preach. Are you, are you, tipping God or are you radically giving yourself to God? Lukewarm Christians, people that say they live in the light, but you actually live in the darkness. People who claim to be found, but they live like they're lost. I don't wanna be a lukewarm believer, but more importantly than any of that, I, I wanna make sure I get the context appropriate that Jesus is saying, I spit you out of my mouth because it's this mixture that's nauseating. 
choose, 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 and choose. And what does he say? This is where it gets really good to me. This is so helpful. He says this, Revelation chapter three, verse 17. It says, for you say, he's speaking to them, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I need nothing. This is what Jesus is saying about them. He's talking about the way that they think and the way they're talking. I need nothing. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched. Listen to these adjectives, this description. Pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is saying to them, you're so poor you think you're rich. Your poverty is dressed in riches. You have material wealth, but you are spiritually bankrupt. I can't help but think about the city of Miami, how many are going through the motions and they're projecting that they need nothing, but on the inside they're lost and broken. Scripture says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? We're starting January talking about our soul, talking about soul care, talking about living happy, healthy, and holy as we get into January because your soul is the realest thing about you. But many of us, we spend more time on everything on the exterior, never paying attention to the interior. Jesus gives a long list of descriptions, but the three words that stand out very quickly is he uses the word poor, blind, and naked. These are the words he chooses to use about the Laodiceans. Now, once again, you gotta get some historical context about Laodicea. This place on the surface was one of the wealthiest cities in Asia Minor. It was known for its prosperity. The river that they had, that means that they, they controlled the trade routes. So money was constantly flowing in. As you study it, uh, what you'll find out about um, Laodicea is that they had incredible solvent banks that they were lending money. Um, much like uh, Philadelphia, they struggle with earthquakes as well. There's two different significant earthquakes you can go back into. Uh, the first earthquake, I think it was uh, under Tiberius, the emperor, I think it's like 17 AD. Uh, when that earthquake happened, they had to receive funds and resources from the Roman Empire. But there was another earthquake that happened in 60 AD and the same help was offered to them and they refused the help. It was out of their own resources they put their city back together. Laodicea was the city that needed no help from anyone. In fact, there is a story about the church in Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem, calling upon the Jews in Laodicea to send money. Jerusalem is the hub of all of it. And they're calling on the Laodiceans because they had so much money. But Jesus looks at this wealthy place and says, now you're poor. You're poor. He, he, what else does he say? He says, uh, you're naked. It would serve all of us, good to know, that Laodicea was famous for its clothing. It manufactured clothing. There was, um, there was a sheep wool, a black sheep's wool that was used there that was glossy and it was a garment that honestly was exported all over the world. He says, you're blind. There was a famous medical school in Laodicea and what were they famous for? A salve that you would put on the eyes of somebody whose eyesight was fading. Here comes Jesus and he looks at this church that thinks that they have good eyesight, 
that thinks that they have good clothing and thinks that they're wealthy. And Jesus says, nah, 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 bro. I see through all of that stuff. You are poor, you are naked, and you are blind. What does he say? I love Jesus. He uses irony. He says, yo, I'm the amen. I'm the truth. You should buy from me gold refined in fire. Now, just think about this. This is, this is ironic because he doesn't really mean you can buy anything. What he's trying to say to this church who's put all of their stock in their wealth and in their possessions, he's saying, all right, you're so, you're so powerful. You need nothing. Why don't you buy from me eyesight? Why don't you buy from me clothing? Why don't you buy from me material wealth? The whole point of the exercise is that when they hear the amen say this, they have to say, well, we can't. There's no way we can buy it. And it's true for you and I. None of us in this room can buy salvation. All of us have to be humbled and say, I recognize that I am lost without you. I'm naked without you. I'm spiritually blind without you. I receive your grace. May we never, ever get over that message. I receive, I receive, I receive. You'd buy from me gold refined in fire. Lord, I want, I don't wanna be spiritually bankrupt. I don't wanna gain the world and forfeit my soul. I don't wanna play church. I don't wanna be nauseating to a lost and dying world around me. I don't wanna be ineffective. I wanna be used by you. So God, make me hot or make me cold. May people look at our church and when they taste and see, they would say, the Lord is good. So here comes Jesus. He's correcting, he's challenging, but Revelation chapter three, verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's amazing because once again, in our modern context, how many of you know, we hate correction. But all of us, man, if we just use our logical mind, it's, it's the athlete who shows the most potential that gets trained the hardest. It's the student who shows the most potential that is given the most difficult tasks. Jesus is saying, I love you. And because I love you, here I am rebuking you. I think many of us, we resent and we run from the rebuke of God. But maturity in Jesus is that you don't resent it or run from it, but rather you regard it as a compliment. The fourth century famous priest, Jerome, he said this, this is hard for me. He said, the greatest anger of God is when God withdraws his anger from us. What's he saying? That you must be really bad for God to abandon his counsel towards your life. We got child dedication today. Yo, any parent who loves their child corrects their child. I love my boys. I'm all over those dudes. I'm all, I'm all over those guys because they're my sons. And it's not because I want to limit them. It's because I want them to step into everything that I believe God has designed for them. Because I love them, I correct them. My sons are funny though. Because I see myself in my sons. Wyatt, my oldest, he's four. 
you know, when you go to correct him, he just, he tears up so quick. Oh, dad. I'm like, I haven't even done nothing, bro. Like, I just look at his dad, you know. But Wyatt's hilarious because Wyatt loves to correct his younger brother. Wild, one, two, wild. I'm like, Wyatt, shut up, bro, you're four. You got a year and a half on that kid. Sometimes we're so, we're so good at giving it, but we're not good at receiving it. You ever notice that about yourself, that you're really good at judging yourself by your intentions, but you judge everyone else by their actions? It's easy for me to correct and judge you. Hey, it is hard for me to look at myself. I had a friend, or I should say a mentor, an older man in my life that he taught his kids, some of you parents. This is childhood, this is all free. It's not even my notes. Um, <laughs> he would teach his kids that after any adult or somebody in their life, a coach, teacher, especially himself, to his kids when he would correct them, the kids would respond. I saw it happen. It was pretty amazing. They would say, uh, thank you for loving me and correcting me and making me better. I was like, dang. <laughs> Running a tight ship over here. <laughs> but how good would it be if we could once again look up and say, I have a good heavenly father, the source of all creation, the origin story, the arche." And whenever he rebukes something in my life, I shouldn't run from it or resent it, but rather I should look back towards heaven and say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for correcting me. And thank you for making me better. That's what his correction does. It's, it's making us better. So watch this. This is where it gets good because this is by far, once again, if you're a guest today, sorry, all of the whole Revelation collection has been pretty intense. So um, the next few weeks are gonna be very encouraging, very uplifting. But today, it's this deep threat, it's, it's violent. It's like, I, I wanna spit you out of my mouth. You, you, you think you've got it all together. You're playing church. You're playing Christianity. You're wealthy, it's full. But you don't even have me at the center of the story. You've brought me down to your level. You've compromised the greatest truth of all. You are the unconverted church. You're gathering out of principle. You're not gathering out of the deity and the beauty of who Jesus is. And so it's this great threat, but watch this. This is where it gets so good. He comes in with, I think, which is the greatest invitation that we've seen so far. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. What does Jesus say? He says, despite all of that, I am still at the door knocking. God is knocking. God is knocking. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. I'm here. This is who I am. This is what I want to do in your life. 
And he clearly introduces himself. He's, he's much better than me at selling my box of chocolates. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. And notice, this is very important. Few observations. He says, anyone who will let me in, I will sit with him. Meaning, his appeal is to an individual, not to the church. This is beautiful today. Because you might be in a lukewarm church. You might be going through life and everyone around you is playing the part. But there is a God who's knocking, saying at any moment, you can let me in. You, you, personally, you. You might be in a home today and you're like, my husband is far from God. He's dry, he doesn't believe. And if you're not careful, you'll develop a victim mentality. But here comes Jesus and anyone, anyone, this is an individual promise. It's for you today, not for all of us, for you. He stops talking to Laodicea and he starts talking to individuals. Read this letter out loud, let the individuals hear it. Your spirituality is not contingent upon your pastor upon your coworker, upon your spouse, upon your mom or your dad. He says to you, it's an individual promise to you, but notice what he says. He says, he says, if you let me in, I'm knocking if you let me in, I wanna come in and, he says, I want to eat with you. Another translation says, I wanna sup with you. The word supper, which we don't all use very much, but it's important because Greeks had three different main meals, breakfast, which was very small, lunch, which was very small, but their third meal, which was supper. And at supper, it would last hours. There'd be conversation. There'd be relationship, food, wine. Jesus is trying to say, I want you to see, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. Let me in, let me in. Because when I come in, I want to sup with you. I want to eat with you. I want intimacy with you. I want long hours spending time with you in relationship. I don't want just breakfast or lunch. I want supper. I want to sup with you. That's why it's so fascinating to me when people are like, oh, I'm not being fed. Uh, I wonder, are you actually eating? Because at some point you got to like realize that Jesus, the Arsha, the source of all creation, is knocking on the door of your heart. It's not about the people around you, it's about you individually opening up and saying, let's dine together, let's, let's sup together, let's have a meal together, let's have relationship. And I close this way. When God knocks, notice that when he knocks, there's no handle on the outside. See, this is what many of us don't realize, is that Jesus is a gentleman and he does not force himself into your life. What Jesus does is he plays his part. He just made the greatest threat to all the churches and then with it now the greatest invitation. I want you to know you're lukewarm. I want you to know that you've got heresy in the church. I want you to know you've got so much physical wealth going on that you're actually so poor. But despite all that, here I am at the door of your heart. Hey, um, I'm out here. Hey, I'd love to have a meal with you. 
I'd love to spend time with you. I'd love relationship with you. He just keeps knocking. He just keeps knocking. He just keeps knocking. And even today, some of you are in this room and God's been knocking on your heart. You've sensed it this past week. He's knocking on your heart. Today, right now, as I'm speaking to you, there's a knock going on. It's not because of an orator or a preacher. It's the Spirit of God saying, let me in. Let me in. But just like the famous famous painting, the door of our heart only has one handle. And it's not on the outside. But rather, as God knocks, at some point, it's only from the inside. It's somewhere behind. As he keeps knocking, we have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. I hear the knocking, but he's not gonna break in and he's not gonna force his way in. He's just gonna knock. He's just gonna knock. He's just gonna knock. But at some point when God knocks, you have to make a decision from the inside to open up the door and allow God into your life. Because Jesus wants relationship with you. And the door of your heart can only be opened from the inside. The last seven weeks, as we've been getting revelations about Jesus, it comes down to a point into a moment that the handle of our heart can only be accessed by you from the inside. And you have to open up that door and let Jesus in. C.S. Lewis said he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And you have to choose. And I close this way today, because this is what I've discovered. And these are C.S. Lewis's words, but I think they're beautiful. When God knocks, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not that surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he, Jesus, is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. He wants to live in you and he wants to live through you. He wants your life to bring him glory all the days of your life. When God knocks, open, because he wants to invade your life. and He wants to use you in ways that you could never dream or imagine, but you've got to open the handle from the inside and allow him in. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. 
We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we wanna create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com slash online. We love you.